I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Terry, a 32-year-old cisgendered woman who describes herself as Muslim, heterosexual, and in a monogamous marriage. Terry was born in Pakistan, and for the first 10 years of her life, she lived in a culture where physical affection wasn't seen, and it was assumed she would have an arranged marriage. When her family moved to the United States, everything changed. Terry provides us with a fascinating glimpse into what it's like to live with a foot in two worlds. Our conversation went on for over an hour, and there's so much we couldn't include in this episode. You're going to want to hear the whole thing, including the story of how a friend helped her buy her first sex toy. So now is the time to head to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to access all of the full uncut interviews featured on this show. I'm so pleased to introduce Terry. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you and hear about your story. You've teased me with a little bit of information, and now I'm super excited to hear your whole story. So thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm actually really excited to do this. I love what you're talking about, so I'm really excited. Awesome. So the first question that I ask every guest is, what is your first memory of sexual desire? Oh, boy, that's a good one. Okay, so I think for me, it stems at a very early age. And it's probably because um, in respect to me and my background, topic of sex, the topic of any conversation related to being intimate was very forbidden. So it was to the point, and I'm Pakistani, I'm Muslim, and in our culture, in our household, we just didn't talk about these things, and nor were these things ever brought up. It was just such a, there was no discussion about what age is appropriate to talk about it. So do you remember watching, I think it was um, Aladdin as a little girl, and you know, my my aunt forwarded the scene at the end where Jasmine and Aladdin were kissing. Because that wasn't okay for me to watch because there's no such thing as intimacy. You you cannot talk about it at all. And they were forward the scene. So I remember being extremely curious and just being, why why can't I watch this? And any chance I would get, and if they weren't around, I would watch that scene over and over again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what, what did you see in your household in terms of affection, like between your parents? Did you see them hug or kiss or anything? No, you just don't do that in our culture. I mean, you don't touch your husband. You don't give your husband or wife hugs or kisses. I never saw that the intimacy and being just being able to show physical affection 
was something that just wasn't present. Wow. So how were you in your culture meant to understand, like when you go from that, for one moment, you're not married. And the next moment you are married, how are you supposed to bridge that gap from not knowing anything to knowing what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it? So I didn't personally go through that um, because I learned so much being in North America. But I remember as a kid, one of my cousins, and she was about six, seven or eight years older than me. So she was in her late teens and she was getting married. It was an arranged marriage. And after she got married, she actually told me that her aunts had sat her down and went through the whole process. Like tonight, like, you know, the night you're getting married, you, you're going to have to have sex. This is how sex happens and you have to do it and that you can't say no because this person will now be your husband and you're going to have to have sexual intercourse. And basically it's essentially getting them ready that you're going to have to start having kids. And this girl is probably 17 or 18 at this time. Wow. So it's presented as this is what you have to do, not this is something that you're going to enjoy doing. And you have to do it and there's no option to not do it. Exactly. I remember like talking to my girlfriends and their sisters and it was all positioned as this is so bad. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to have sex with this guy Mm. who I don't even know because essentially for most people, you didn't know your husband until the day you got married after the marriage. In some families, they were more um, flexible and, uh, you know, back in that time considered really advanced that they would let the couple talk have phone conversations before they got married. Do you know if this is how it still is? Had you not come to the United States when you were 10, this is how your life would have proceeded as well? I don't think my life would have proceeded this way just because I've always been, I just, this wasn't for me at all. I'm actually, who knows? Maybe I would have been forced into getting married to someone that I didn't want to. That's really the reality. But hearing stories from back home for friends and family, I still know that this exists. And the main purpose of a woman is to get married and have kids. So if there are any single girls in my family or extended family, I don't really have close family there anymore. But I hear often my mom talk about this. Someone, oh, so-and-so is in her 30s now and she's still not married. So who's going to marry her? How are we going to find her a husband? You came to the United States when you were 10 years old. How did your life change? What did you see or hear or know that was different coming to the United States um, at that age? I, I found more openness and conversation about this stuff in respect to the people in my culture. So the friends I made who were also Pakistani or Indian they were already doing things with their boyfriends. So they were kissing, they were making out, you know, they were giving blowjobs, there were hickeys. And and those things, even at that age, were, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. It was still a cultural shock for me. I was open to it, but I had limits, you know, because I'm a good girl. I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay on the right path. Um, And, you know, when the interest started growing with different boys that I had crushes on soon, you know, I started crossing one bridge at a time. Okay, maybe I'm just going to kiss and, you know, maybe I'm just going to 
let him suck on my tits. <laughs> as long as I'm not having sex, it's okay. So, and many, many girls I know to this day at that age and in, in high school and whatnot, like going from middle school and high school, they drew some boundaries that they're going to do everything except for having sex because that was such a big sin. Oh, wow. So you said that your the friends that you made here were already kissing and making out and all of that. How old was that? Was that at 10 or was that at like 14? Actually, that was at around 14. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I don't think I was talking to anybody about this stuff before then, before high school. This wasn't a conversation I was having with anyone, even though I knew this was happening. I remember being in high school. It was grade nine. It was in Houston, Texas. And uh, I was helping this one guy. He was on the football team with a with a project of uh, we were in American Sign Language together. So he basically left me his email and said, can you call me? Uh, and through the email, he sent me an email and said, can you call me when you get a chance? And I was like so nervous. I don't know what it was about, but I couldn't call a boy because I wasn't allowed in our house. You couldn't talk to boys. There were no guy friends allowed. And I remember him calling me and he just straight up said to me, and he was a senior, and he said to me, he's like, I think you're really hot. I think you're so attractive and I really want to fuck you. Wow. And yeah, like that straightforward. <laughs> this is, it was crazy. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, I am really, I, I guess, thank you, but I can't do this because I'm not married yet. And in my culture, we don't do that until we get married. So he tried to convince me otherwise. He said, nobody has to know. Nobody will find out. And I said, but yeah, but God will still know. Wow. So it was interesting because I'm not that religious. And I don't think I was that religious then either because I wasn't practicing Islam religiously. But I knew in my head that something has been put in my head that I can't do these things until I get married. Hmm. So when you decided you were going to push the first boundary and kiss a boy and then push the next boundary and let them feel you up, how did that, like, how did you navigate those for yourself um, in terms of what was God going to think? And how did you think about that in terms of your parents and your culture? In terms of my culture and parents, I was just like, oh, as long as they don't know, I'll be fine. And with the, I wasn't having that conversation with myself at that point about what's God going to think. I think in my head, I was thinking, I'll make up for my sins later. I'll just uh -huh. pray more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so those for, do you remember your first kiss? I do. It was horrible. Uh, that was my question. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> it was horrible. It was with a boy who looked like Aaron Carter, Carter, because I was obsessed with Aaron Carter, Nick Carter, Backstreet Boys, you know, at that time. So, oh my God. So it was, he had no idea what he was doing. He just shoved his tongue in my mouth and he wasn't even moving it around. Nothing. It was horrible. <laughs> I do remember, sadly. <laughs> yeah. So did it get better? Like, did you continue kissing him or did you move on to others? Oh, yeah. I, I, stopped, I stopped with him. We did not <laughs> kiss after that. <laughs> I moved on to other boys and it got better. The more practice I got, you know, it was better. And some, some of those boys were just so good at making out. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it definitely got better. And so you didn't feel guilty about it while it was happening? No, I, I think I was just more fearful. What are my parents going to do if they find out? And I really didn't hadn't considered what what were those options. I, I think at some point I thought, what if they send me back? 
I've seen that happen to many people that because they got involved in relationships with other boys, this is in high school and whatnot, and they got involved in relationships, but, and there were white boys. That Mm. was a big no. So this was not even someone who's Muslim. And I've seen many girls um, who got sent back home. In fact, I still remember in high school, one particular girl I know, she was a friend of mine. She was interested in someone. She was in love with someone. Actually, this is in university. This is not even when she's 18. This is after. And she was in love with this guy. And she came forward and actually shared that information with her parents that, listen, there's a guy I'm actually in love with. And he does love me back, too. His parent. I would like for him to t- ask his parents to come see you guys so we can get a marriage arranged because you just didn't propose the proposal stuff didn't happen the parents discussed and arranged the marriage and her mom basically said that she how dare she do this she doesn't have the right to pick her partner they do that's their right and i think about six seven months later she was she went back to pakistan and married a boy there and it was wow she's happy now just want to put it out she's happy now Mm -hmm. but this wasn't her choice Yeah, well, I don't think that having an arranged marriage and being happy are necessarily mutually exclusive, but it is kind of heartbreaking to hear that somebody has found something that they believe will make them happy and is told, no, you're not allowed to have that. Yeah, that would infuriate me. That infuriated me so much back then, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I assume that if the boys the, the who you were attracted to looked like Nick Carter, you were probably fooling around with white boys. I was. And that was a big no, too. Yeah. I mean, OK, so I did date one brown guy, my only brown guy that I legitimately dated. And I remember being 15, I think. And we messed around a lot. Like, you know, I, I've given by a lot. I mean, at that age, I gave him blowjobs. He's, you know, we went to, we did everything besides having sex pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time we got into a fight and he said to me, it's like, no, you don't get to do that because one day you're going to be my wife and you're going to have to do anything I tell you anyway. This is when we were 15. Wow. So, yeah. So he already had that embedded in him because of the way everybody's being raised in our culture and society, the male role. Versus the female role. And I said bye-bye to that relationship so fast. And I was like, I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) This ain't happening. (laughs) So how did you keep all of this from your parents? I mean, it sounds like you had an active dating life. How did you keep that from your parents? You get really good at this. In our culture, you get really good at lying. And we covered for each other. Me and my girlfriends, we'd cover for each other. We'd plan dates and all these sexual moments and stuff at the same time. So if my girlfriend was going out to see a guy and she was going to be late with him and they're going to be messing around, I probably am doing the same thing with some other guy at the same time. And what we would just do is tell our parents that we're going out together. So we'd leave together. Both our parents would think we're leaving together and then we'd go home together too. So whenever the date ended, um, We'd basically meet at the same place. We'd get picked up at the same place. And it seemed like we were, in fact, out with each other. Wow, that is amazing. It's a lot of work. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) But also, I mean, you have to be really close with your girlfriends and really trust them in order to make something like that work. Yeah. You know what? 
even if you weren't so close to someone, this was one of those things you just didn't tell your parents because we all had something on each other. Mm. So even if the trust was lost, you're not going to have a girlfriend who's going to go tell uh, your mom or someone that this is what you were doing because the truth is she was probably fucking around and messing around anyway. Sure. So we were all doing it just that nobody wanted to talk about it. That was the biggest difference. And there were still some people who weren't doing and they were the pious people and you just avoided them anyway because they were just not your group. Hmm. I did probably have conversations with myself now that I think about it, just in my heart, that what I'm doing is so wrong. And again, I would just go back to, oh, well, I'll just start praying. Mm. which I never got around to do. Yeah, that was what I was going to (laughs) ask. It was putting it off into the future, but the future never actually came. Yeah, like that was the whole plan that, you know what, I'm young, I'm just going to do this. It's okay. In the future, I'll I'll start wearing a hijab one day. I will will straighten my shit out one day and I'll become more religious and I'll wear a hijab. I'll pray, I'll fast. I'll do all of those things. I'm not doing any of those things, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. So how old were you when you first had sexual intercourse? I waited till I was 18 and I gave it to my then boyfriend as his birthday present. Uh huh. Because <laughs> we were dating for six months. He was older than me. He was in university and I was still in high school. But I waited. I, I don't know why I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to wait till I'm 18 because, you know, then that just means I'm just so much more responsible, right? <laughs> But, and I, I, you know, it was great because it was someone I trusted. Again, he was white and I was in love with him. It was everything about it was perfect. I wouldn't change it in any way. And I really enjoyed the sex, even for my first time. I've heard from so many people that first time it really sucks, but it was really enjoyable. Just finding that chemistry, just try, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get that right chemistry in, and, but I had it with him. And I did have it with another guy who was my fuck buddy through these on and off periods. And and I just kind of consistently went to the same people and occasionally to other people, depending on how much I was drinking. So so this sounds like a very sort of typically white American story, but you grew up in a very different culture with very different ideas and messages. And I'm I'm still curious to know how how you squared that with yourself. Um, You know, you've talked about, well, I'll just pray more later, but um, were there moments when you thought, this is really not okay what I'm doing? You know what? I didn't have those moments because I saw how people in my culture treated me. And I realized that forget the religion, what they are doing is not okay. So I remember like this is in high school, one of my uncles and he kind of almost adopted me through my, you know, since I was 10, since I moved to the US, my dad was working a lot, but he took care of me. I was his favorite niece. But when he found out I was dating my then boyfriend who was white, he basically gave me an ultimatum. And and at that time he was going to uh, cover for my university tuition and he gave me an ultimatum and he said, you know, you, you have to pick dating these boys or you have to pick me. Wow. So I basically said that I'm not going to pick you because if you're going to use this against me right now, you will use this in anything possible in life. That means your love is an unconditional. And how in the world at when you were um, a teenager, did you have the strength and the fortitude to say that to 
an elder person. That's amazing. That was the shift. It happened for me was I realized realized that the religion is between me and God. It's not between me and these people. And these people have shown me over and over and over again how much they despise the things I'm doing. To this day, 10 years later, I'm still with my husband and we're so happy to this day, my dad's side of the family, even the way they look at me is just, it makes them cringe of the person I've become, the fact that I even hug or kiss my husband around them. Hmm. So I came to terms with it because they they were horrible to me. They I went through a period of questioning myself, what is wrong with me? Or is this all happening to me because I've sinned? Am I, is this just payback? Is this just karma showing me that these people are not loving me anymore? I can't please them. They, if I don't do things their way, it's just not going the right way. And it's probably because I'm sinning, but I didn't know how to stop. So that was the other thing. How do I stop sin, quote unquote sinning when I enjoy it so much, when it feels so good? And that's when I really had to reflect a lot and realize, you know, fuck these people. They're the ones who are really they're the ones who are wrong they're following their religion the wrong way because you don't treat people like shit because of the things that the the, you know the choices that they're making that are not even impacting you Hmm. wow that is just a remarkable um sense of self-awareness i think for a young woman to have um i'm just stunned i think oh thank you i think more of it I think more of it, I've kind of come to realize over time, because up until now, too, I can say I don't care, but it still bothers me that, you know, my dad's side of the family, they just, they'll never accept me. I'll always be a stranger. And I've had to kind of reinforce, really train myself to not care and just not give a shit about what they're saying and what they're doing. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. 
For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. When your parents came to the United States, when they brought you to the United States when you were 10, Mm -hmm. what do you think they were hoping? I think they were hoping that they would still be able to control us, make sure that uh, they can raise us, that no boys are going to be our friends. That was one thing. We can go out, um, only a few friends' houses we can visit, but we can't go out with them in public because what if we run into boys? Like, I remember when I started working at a mall, like at a store in a mall, my uncle who, you know, was, I was like his daughter, he basically bitched out at my parents for letting me work at the mall. He said, that's how they meet the boys. Wow. So it was like this thing of control until they were ready to arrange a marriage for me. Then I'm somebody else's problem. Hmm. Then their job is done. Then it's the husband who can take care of all the shit. Wow. So uh, it sounds like you, under that system, had you gone along with that, you never actually get to be your own person. You are always somebody else's responsibility. Absolutely. And even if I had decided to pick a partner, I wouldn't be able to date them properly. Had I gone along with that system, um, I would have to be arranged with the same partner and they wouldn't tell the family or extended people or the people in the community that this was a a quote unquote love marriage, because that's how we distinguish the two love marriage or arranged marriage and love marriage is when, you know, you, you just find a guy for yourself. So they would still put it out as this was arranged and they'll have a lie ready for it because I've seen it happen to so many people when it wasn't like that. There there's, the couple was dating, but they just want to project that this was arranged. So a love marriage is not acceptable in your culture? It's getting a lot better now. Mm-hmm. And every household is different. My dad's side of the family, they're just, honestly, they're just fucked up. They have this, <laughs> they, they have this sense of religion. If you don't do things their way, you're just a horrible human being. My dad, also away from his family, is totally different. I think, and my husband always says that I think he is more accepting of all of these things than you think. And I wouldn't know that because I just didn't have a relationship with him until I was in my 20s. So now, my I don't care what I wear in front of my parents. I'm still respectful. I'm not going to show up at their house in really short shorts and short skirts. But if they're coming to my parties, they know I'll be serving alcohol. They know we're probably smoking or something. And, you know, they know I'm going to wear what I want to wear. And, you know, my mom just tries to warn me, okay, just don't go out and drink too much. That's that's her limit. And I just say, yes, okay. (laughs) I don't argue with her. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel like you have a... um a comfortable relationship with them now? Oh, yeah. I have a great relationship with them. And I think they've had to really advance their thinking in order to get to this point because their kids are different. And they've just come to accept that it's okay because they've seen people in our culture in arranged marriage following the path that you were supposed to follow, you know, just have really unhappy lives and a lot of stress and a lot of heartache that's existed you know physical abuse and all of that that's existed and my parents are just like we don't care who you pick 
as long as that person's straight, I think that's the only thing they draw the line at. And B, as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter if this person's brown, white, black, Asian, like it doesn't matter. Wow. When you say straight, do you mean heterosexual or do you mean something else? Heterosexual. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you are married now and you've mentioned that you're happily married. Can you tell me about meeting your husband? I met my husband when I was uh, 21-ish and he used to be a manager at a bar and I used to frequent that bar with my girlfriend and we would get drunk. At this time, my parents were thinking I was at night classes but I would just start getting drunk. (laughs) So that was fun too. And it started off with us just having sex and it was just supposed to be sexual. You know, I was officially ending everything with my ex-boyfriend, like completely ending everything. And he had just come out of a really long relationship. So we were just going to be fucking around until seven, eight months later, we realized that we, it was, there was more to it than we thought. So then we've been dating since and then we were on off for a couple years at that time too. But we've just been strong since, I don't know, 2009 probably. So how did you know that this was more than just fucking around? We wanted to spend time with each other when we weren't having sex because in the beginning we just have sex all the time. Like heat. Okay. So this is so bad. This is so bad in our culture. I'll tell you. Okay. So this, I remember this was Ramadan, the holiest month of the Muslim calendar. It's so holy that you cannot think their dirty thoughts at all during the day. Even as a married couple, you cannot have sex until after sundown because you're not eating. You're not drinking from sunup till sundown. It's like, you 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 change the way you dress like a lot of people like even the ones who are drinking regularly and just having sex regularly but just random people they'll stop doing all of these things and i remember i would wake up for my fast three or four in the morning because that's when i would get to eat and he's just closing the bar and he'd basically send a cab over so i can get in the cab go to his place (laughs) and then we'd fuck and in the beginning i remember just being like we can't have sex we can't have sex no we can't let's just mess around and do everything else but have sex but just the thrill of doing something that you couldn't do oh it was just so that like made me more horny so we'd have sex more at that time. And then he'd be like, I thought you couldn't do it. I'm like, okay, just this once. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're a woman who thrives on, certain, uh, I don't know if it's danger or on the things that you're not supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It's just more exciting. It just it's the, It makes us sexual experiences so much more exciting. That's fascinating. I am the exact opposite. Are you? I, I totally. I need to feel safe and warm and like everything is okay in the world. And then I can really relax. If I think that anything is not okay or anybody's judging me or any of those things, I just can't relax. Oh, I'm not like that. And I think that worked in my favor because <laughs> I was... I was mostly dating white guys. I don't think I've been with somebody. I've been with one Asian person in my life, but generally I haven't been with any guys sexually besides someone who's white. And for those white guys I was with, they were always curious about me because they've never been with a Pakistani girl before. So we would just, and they were shocked all the freaky things I was willing to do, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the freaky things you were willing to do? 
Well, okay. So most of the sex would be in a car because um, I don't want to go see their parents. I didn't want to, you know, we were young at this time, so I don't want to go into their house and face their family. Sure. We know we're just coming for that. And other times I probably just had limited time being out from my house. And um, so, you know, all the sex had to be in the car. So I remember this one time, one guy, my husband doesn't know this story. I hope he doesn't listen to this. (laughs) So... um, (laughs) I'm just going to not let him listen to this. Um, So one time, I remember this one guy I was dating, he basically handcuffed me in his car to the side handles, you know, in the back seat. Both my hands were handcuffed away. He fucked me first with a vibrator. And then, like, when I couldn't take it anymore, then he fucked me himself with his dick. But it was just so exciting. Wow. Yeah, it was so hot. <laughs> so, um, in your relationship now, do you, because uh, you've been together for a while, um, do you feel like you have sort of more, uh, quote unquote, normal sex, or are you still finding ways to keep it spicy and exciting? So there we went or through to a, use your word, freaky, freaky. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, we we went through a period where. You know, the f- sex got really dull just with the kids and stuff. And and recently we started spicing things up more with, you know, just using toys. And um, he was never willing to choke me before, but now he is. So, I, you know, he knows I enjoy that and he's getting into it. So we're just taking it one step at a time. We're probably going to want to invest in more toys and try more try more things with toys um, just to keep things spicy. But with the two kids, it's just hard. But we're still enjoying it. And honestly, like, I guess I don't give up my sex as much anymore to him because, you know, I'm tired and I've, I've had him. <laughs> it's a reality. I'm married. It, it is what it is. Right. <laughs> so that's interesting. How did you get into choking or breath play? Oh, I don't know. It was called breath play. I don't know. I just I just thought it'd be something I would want to try and when we would have sex, just his hands going towards my neck just made me feel like it would just get me more horny. So I knew really? this was something I wanted to try. And the guy who used to handcuff me in the car, he used to choke me. So I knew I had, and this is not something I tried. And he said, "I'll let tell me what your limits are, the guy said to me. And I said, I'll tell you what my limits are as I find them out. And I mm-hmm. realized that choking was something that was not off limits to me. So, um, before we started recording, you mentioned to me, I asked you what your sexual preference is, and you said, I'm heterosexual, but. So, can you tell us about that but? Okay. So, I, I'm, I'm not big on porn. I'm not really a porn watcher. However, there are times I've definitely watched porn, especially when I was pregnant. I was really horny all the time. So I would watch porn and I found that any porn I watched, it would just disgust me to see all the shit that they were doing. It was way too much close-ups. The only thing I liked was lesbian porn because it normally involved someone kind of trying to encourage somebody who's straight to, you know, try uh, having a sexual encounter with with a lesbian once they got into the whole sex thing i would just turn it off because that wasn't for me but just the build-up of two girls just kind of experimenting their boundaries was just something that got me so horny that's the only porn i enjoyed and i remember asking my girlfriend i'm like what if i'm a lesbian what or what if i'm bi 
She's like, I think a lot of girls watch lesbian porn, but doesn't make them buy or a lesbian. I'm, I mean, maybe you are. Who knows? I don't think I am because I love my men. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this is a conversation I have a lot with a lot of people. I'm not sure that it, a lot of people get really weirded out, like, oh my God, what am I? Uh, am I lying to myself? Am I blah, blah, blah. And I've been through that period myself. And honestly, most of the time, I'm not sure that it really matters. If what you, if you enjoy watching porn with two women and that gets you excited, great. It's what gets you excited. Would you actually go out and do that thing? If the answer is no, then fine. Just enjoy it for the excitement. Oh yeah. The the answer answer is yes. Then yeah. Yeah. So I think that we get a little bit too caught up in trying to label things when really the question is, what do you enjoy? And if you if that's something that you want to pursue, great, go pursue it. If not, it's perfectly fine to watch it and not want to pursue it. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you, because the name of this podcast is Good Girls Talk About Sex. Mm -hmm. What did the words good girl mean to you when you were a child? And what do they mean to you now? Oh, my God. That's a great question because that is it's a whole flip that's happened to me with that meaning. So as a a good girl, as a child meant to me that I'm religious, that I dress appropriately. I listen to my elders. I listen to my parents. And I don't do things that are not allowed of me by religion and the rules set by my parents. That is what good girl meant to me then. Now things are different. Today good girl means to me is someone who's just a good who's got a good heart. You you do good for other good things to other people. You mm-hmm. don't try to be rude, disrespectful or hurtful to other people. You don't betray other people. And who cares what you're doing with your own life in that sense? Like if you're not hurting people, if you're not hurting yourself, and you're just going out and actually doing good deeds is what I describe as a, a person, as a good person, a good girl. And yeah, that's awesome. that's how I feel. I love that. I love how you distinguish that change because I feel the same way um, very much. Like I chose the words good girl very intentionally because I I grew up very different circumstances, but I grew up with this idea that I have to be very, you know, straight laced and I have to be a very good girl. And now I think I still am a good girl and I can also enjoy sex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah. that was, I think, the biggest thing for me with the religion too is realizing. I, I mean, I still believe in Islam, I believe everything that Islam says to extents that I've been able to portray it and perceive it. What I realized that is that no matter what religion you are, God will never be okay with you treating other humans like garbage. Mm. And I was like, if this is your Islam, like this was more towards my dad's side of the family. If this is your Islam, that you think that you can treat people like shit because they're not like you, that they're not following the religion the way you think it should be followed, then that doesn't make you a good Muslim. And that's why I have so much respect for my mom and my mom's side of the family because they are religious people, but they don't judge me and they don't, they don't mistreat me or anybody in my family because of the choices we're making, because that's between us and God. 
their religion is between their God and them. And as long as we're happy and we're just being good people, that's all all that matters. And that's the, that's the stance my mother's taken for the last almost seven, eight, ten years almost. Wow. So you've mentioned that you have children. How are you raising them? So with us, we, we've talked about this. We're not really raising them with any religion. We're raising them with the best of both worlds. You know, we're raising them with the religious holidays that are just more traditions where neither of us are practicing our religions. He's Catholic. I'm Muslim. We're not practicing. So that's not something we're talking about. We're going to teach them the good things about each religion or both the religions. And at the end of the day, from a religious perspective, they can choose whatever they want. They shouldn't be forced into anything as long as they're good people. That's really all that matters. Now, on the other hand, there's also the conversation around their sexuality. So our biggest goal is we never want our kids to feel that they have to come out to us for anything whatsoever. Their sexuality is their sexuality. Should they choose to be straight or should they choose to be gay or bi? That's up to them. And my job is to make sure that they're growing up being respectful, kind, and loving towards people. And that's it. And I just want to, I just hope my, my kids never grow up thinking that they're going to have to come and sit down and tell me, mom, dad, I'm straight or mom, dad, I'm gay. Like this conversation should never happen. And they're welcome to marry or date or do whatever they want in that aspect without feeling that they are not going to be accepted by us. So when you say you don't want them to feel like they have to come out, do you mean that it's just like such an ongoing part of the conversation that there shouldn't have to be a big moment? Or are you saying that you feel like they you should just shouldn't have to know? It, it's, it shouldn't be a big moment. And, and we uh-huh. need to get away from that as a society altogether. I think just because things have happened certain ways doesn't mean they have to continue happening that way. And as a society, no matter what religion, culture we belong to, we need to start realizing that people are more complex than the binary way we want them to be. And nobody should fit in a box the traditions and culture, religion, society has asked us to be in. And that's something that I strongly feel about. And, and that's why I never want my kids to feel that they have to justify who they're dating to anybody. And it starts with home. So if they feel comfortable about their sexuality, however it flows, and they know that we accept them for who they are, I think they'll be far more confident and healthy mentally as they face the world. I love that. Thank you. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. 
Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Terry go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite to ask anybody. Uh, Do you have sex during your period? I think we did at some point long time ago. We haven't in the last five, six years. And is that because you're not comfortable with it? He's not comfortable with it or it's just not something that happens? Um, it's too much work with the kids. Ah. We barely have time with the kids mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and my oldest son is still in bed with us. You know, oh. it's sad. I know. So that makes yeah, a lot so. of difference to your sex life. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, we move him into his bed, but you know, he just three in the morning, he'll still come down his bunk bed and get in our bed. Yeah. Okay. We don't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have hair down there or are you bare? Right now I am bare. You say that as if that's different than usual. I mean, I let it grow and then I shave. Okay. Grow, shave. So, so like not grow like crazy, but I shave regularly. Okay. During a blow job, do you swallow or not? I spit. I don't need to swallow anymore. I'm married. I gave him two kids. I'm not taking that shit in. <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) And is he okay with that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so one time we had a fight and I swallowed after that. And he was like, you never have to do that. Don't ever feel like you have to do that. (laughs) Do you prefer penetration or clit stimulation? Depends. On? I think just the mood, time things like that okay. I mean sometimes I'll be honest sometimes I'm just too lazy for foreplay and I just want to get off I just want to have sex and just get that out of the way because I want to feel good from it like it just takes away your stress so at that time I'm like not interested in anything else just fuck me and 
we're not making love right now. We're, you're just fucking me. So it just depends on what I'm looking at, like what, what the mood is. Do you prefer to be the giver or the receiver of sexual pleasure? Receiver. <laughs> I'm selfish. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, thank you so much. This has been such a fun and interesting and enlightening conversation. And I'm so grateful to you for showing up and just being so open. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. You were really good at asking the right questions to kind of get the conversation really expanded. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, I will look forward to hopefully talking to you more in the future. (laughs) Awesome. Me too. I can't wait for this to come out. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>